Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, and this is Shrink Speak. I want to talk about a question that occurs to many people in the course of their lives, even if they don't know it or won't admit it, and that is, when do you need to see a psychiatrist? I'm going to discuss this question in a series of four podcasts. This is the second in that series and is titled, When Do You Need to See a Shrink? First of all, the term shrink is an unfortunate moniker for psychiatrists. It has demeaning connotations, something akin to a pimple popper for dermatologists or a gas passer for anesthesiologists, except worse. Nevertheless, psychiatrists shrinks are the medical specialists that focus on the parts of the brain involved with thinking, feeling, perceiving, and disorders of these functions. There's two reasons that you might need to avail yourself of the services of a psychiatrist. One is that genetically or constitutionally, you're vulnerable to a mental disorder in the same way that you can be vulnerable to hypertension, asthma, diabetes, heart disease, or any other medical illness. The other is that the environment or your life events uh, inflict some stress or trauma on you which tests your resilience or capacity for managing uh, these stressful events and maintaining your emotional equilibrium and control. Such things occur to everyone in the course of their lives, uh, but in extreme cases include things like being mugged, uh, being in a fire, uh, a natural disaster like an earthquake, uh, a war, um, or having a rupture of a close relationship, a breakup of a marriage, uh, financial reverses in your professional activities. All of these things occur. They cause individuals to have emotional reactions to these. And generally, the way that human beings are built is that we're able to manage these things either quickly or eventually over time. Now, some people are more fragile than others, but everybody, everybody has their breaking point. Now, Contrary to what you may have heard, not everyone is crazy, and not everyone experiences a mental illness. But we all will have emotional ups and downs. So the question is, is how can you distinguish something that's within the normal vicissitudes of a person's mental life in the course of their activities, and when is something really verging on being a problem? It's akin to, like, if you have an ache or a pain or if you have some type of discoloration on your skin or if you have some other type of gastrointestinal symptom, when does it get to the point that you think there may be a problem that you need to go see the appropriate type of doctor for? And when that occurs in other organ systems of the body, your lungs, your heart, your kidneys, your stomach, it's easier to determine that because you are using your brain to evaluate those symptoms and determine how severe they are, uh, how long they're persisting for, and whether they're interfering with your ability to function before you go uh, and need to go see somebody. But when it's your brain that is the source of the dysfunction leading to symptoms of emotion or thinking or perception, um, it's harder because you're using the organ that's affected to make these judgments. So the first thing you have to ask yourself when you think that there may be something that's uncomfortable or unusual is whether this is normal for you, whether it's ever happened before, 
whether it's in the range of what you've experienced in the past or what you know other people to experience. So, for example, you know, you're feeling sad, but there's nothing that's happened uh, that you should be sad about. Uh, you're easily moved to tears. You become very sentimental. Uh, you may be anxious and, and, and fearful. You're worrying about things. Uh, you can't rouse yourself to do things you ordinarily love to do, uh, and you can't get interested in, in anything. Uh, you may have thoughts even that, you know, what is life's meaning? You know, what's the value in it, and, and is it worth living? When these things occur, uh, they're usually out of the ordinary in terms of the types of thoughts people have and the feelings that they have and related to circumstances. And then if they're severe enough to really be distressing or even worse, disabling, and they persist for not just an hour, a day, but for a week or weeks or months, uh, then that would be a clear sign that there's something unusual going on. Other types of symptoms that might occur that would rise to the level of being clinically significant are things like feeling anxious or worried or fearful for no reason. You always have a sense that there's something hanging over you. You've done something wrong. Uh, your heart is beating fast. You're short of breath. You're, you're dizzy. You're flushed and sweating, but for no reason. Other types of symptoms that can occur are things like having repetitive thoughts. You have thoughts that keep going over and over again in your head and you can't uh, suppress them or that you have to go through the same kind of ritualistic behaviors going beyond what normal kind of superstitious behaviors might be. Others involving thinking are having you know, strange ideas or irrational beliefs, conspiracies, aliens, feeling that uh, you're being watched, feeling that uh, people are against you, and also having unusual experiences in terms of the way you're perceiving things. You're walking down the street and you think that the person that's behind you is following you or that people on the street know what you're thinking or know what you're doing there, things that there's no you know, uh, clear explanation for in terms of the uh, realistic possibilities uh, of your circumstances. Now, these things meet the criterion of unusual, abnormal. But in addition, uh, everybody has bizarre thoughts from time to time. Everybody gets afraid from time to time. Everybody feels down from time to time. And sometimes it happens irrespective of your circumstances. But the next criterion is that it needs to be severe, or at least not something which is slight and uh, easily tolerable. That it needs to be enough that it's causing you distress or may even affect your ability to function. And then the third criteria is that it's something that persists for a period of time, which indicates that it's not simply bound to a specific circumstantial situation or development. Even if the worst thing in the world happens to you, you don't feel as bad in a week or a month or several months as you do immediately. There's a natural process of coming to terms with it. But when individuals are suffering from depression or an anxiety disorder, they may not come be able to come to It's a persistent level of severity that they experience. Family history can be a useful indicator as to whether this could be clinically significant. Uh, and that's because there are mental disorders that are genetically influenced in terms of vulnerability or susceptibility. So, you know, if you're feeling sad in a way that seems abnormal and you think, well, God, you know, my, my 
father used to suffer from depression. I didn't know what it was at the time, but he would just sort of stay in bed and he wouldn't come out. He didn't want to do anything. Nothing could make him laugh. Or grandparents or aunts and uncles, because it actually pertains to all biologic relatives as to whether there's any genetic basis for a vulnerability to a, a mental disorder. And relating to the environmental causes, when you're having feelings that are stressful or distressing or you're feeling out of sorts, um, think, is there something going on in my life that might be causing them? Did there was some change at my workplace? Uh, someone new came in who's threatening. Someone took my uh, office, got a new boss. Or is there something in some other sphere of your life that might be associated with it? So you do kind of a, a quick self-evaluation to determine whether there's any clear reason that might uh, be uh, the, the unusual experiences you're having might be attributable to. Now, because of the fact that there's often no clear-cut way to immediately know uh, whether the unusual mental state you're experiencing is abnormal and warrants uh, medical attention, you know, as you might if you have uh, a kidney stone causing you pain or you're having shortness of breath because of a pulmonary embolus or, or asthma attack or, you know, you're having chest pain because of potential uh, heart disease. And you have to give it time to really uh, evaluate it fully, although many people might be more hypochondriacally minded, not in a bad way, but just more prone to check something out at the first sign of difficulty. But that's the exception rather than the norm. People often who do have genuinely abnormal mental states warranting professional attention don't come to that conclusion until after an extended period of time elapses, or in some cases they never do, meaning that it takes often takes longer for individuals having untoward mental experiences to seek professional help than is the case with other types of illnesses. And this could extend for not just days and even weeks, but months and years. And if you look at the average duration of onset of symptoms till time of evaluation, diagnosis, and treatment for things like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, um, it's an awful long time indeed and that's not good, one, because you suffer, two, depending on the nature of the illness, it could aggravate the underlying cause and limit the ability to respond to treatment once it's instituted, but also bad things can happen in the interim. Complications can occur. What sort of complications might there be? Well, a frequent one, unfortunately, is self-medication. So people use alcohol, use cannabis, use drugs, stimulants, cocaine, opiates, to try and relieve the symptoms, and they do initially, but it's not an effective way of treating, and over time they become dependent on that and leads to further complications. Another is that people can be impelled by their symptoms to things that are harmful. They can become self-destructive, they can attempt suicide, they can become aggressive and violent and do bad things. If you look at throughout history, we see that this unfortunately has occurred in a number of situations where people have been under the influence of sim their symptoms doing things that were harmful themselves or others. Some notable examples are Robin Williams, who was like a walking risk factor in terms of all the things that he had which predisposed him to depression, and in this case suicidal depression. Prince, the singer who overdosed, 
John Hinckley, who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan, uh, Andrea Yates, who suffered from postpartum psychosis and drowned her five children in a bathtub. All of these were due to symptoms that were impelling them to these terrible deeds that were treatable and could have present, prevented these tragedies from happening. So in sum, the lesson here is that mental illnesses occur as a result of disturbances in parts of the brain involved with mentation, perception, and emotion. And individuals should be vigilant for these, practicing good mental hygiene like they would just other types of hygiene, and uh, be thoughtful when they experience things that may seem out of the ordinary, and then apply the three criteria that I mentioned, normalcy, severity, and persistence, and then make a determination. And my advice to everybody is err on the side of caution. Seek assistance sooner rather than later. There's nothing to lose. All you do is spend the time and whatever the amount of copay is in your insurance to see somebody. But in return, it can prevent uh, suffering and uh, even worse in terms of irreversible consequences or damage. So thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, and this is Shrink Speak. Shrink Speak.